You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to chat with Amanda Ono, VP of Customer Experience and People and Culture at Resolver. She shares how she improved scaled to productivity, the time it takes new hires to onboard, go through training, and then be successful at their role. You'll learn how she built a training program to reduce onboarding from nine months to five months, how she gathered feedback to improve the program, and how it drives hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit for the company and allows them to retain a healthy gross margin. If you want to learn more about scaling your company profitably and sustainably by helping your team get up to speed faster, you're going to love this interview. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. I'm super excited to chat with you and uh, learn a little bit more about Resolver and kind of how you guys think about metrics and reporting and measurement and specifically to chat about um, working to improve time to productivity. But I guess a good place to start would be for people who are not familiar with Resolver and kind of what you do. Can you give like the 30 second pitch of what Resolver is and what your role is there? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks thanks for having me. So Resolver is a, a curl business. We're based in Toronto. Um, and essentially what our SaaS platform does is help analyze risk data in context. And the goal of that is to try to reveal the business impact of risk. You know, most risk teams are seen as back office, administrative, you know, um, they're not, they're maybe seen as a cost center, but, you know, we believe that risk is really a driver of business opportunity. And, you know, certainly during COVID, um, we all found that conversations around risk were happening at the dinner table and, you know, understanding risk and being able to assess risk was, you know, a common conversation and an insight that we needed to make decisions. Um, at Resolver, we've been doing that for years for, for businesses, and we're super proud that our risk intelligence platform continues to do that for some leading companies companies around the world. So yeah, so I, I started my journey at Resolver um, in a people and culture function. Uh, we were two, uh, we were 90 people in two offices and I was brought in to build, you know, how we wanted to think about, um, you know, people and culture as, as many people call HR. About four years into my journey, the uh, CEO asked me if I could step in and oversee customer experience. Um, customer experience in, in our world is a combination of professional services, uh, customer support, learning, and operations. And I thought it was a great chance to dive in and take some of those skills that I'd learned on the people and culture side and really operationalize them and kind of say, hey, this is how you build recruiting. This is how you build onboarding. Can it be true when you sit in an ops role and you're actually accountable for revenue? So it's it's been a b- great journey, um, great turnaround for the team, um, and that leads me up to today. That's awesome. Uh, so when you, when you think about leading the team in this way, what are some of the? I know there's probably for some companies dozens and dozens, but when you think about some of like the core metrics, obviously today we're going to be talking about time to productivity specifically. Are there any outside that that are sort of like north metrics or like really? Uh, primary KPIs that you're looking to move the needle on sort of on a regular basis? For sure. So, you know, professional services in a SaaS company is really accountable for taking what sales is sold and making it a reality, right? So, you know, um, doing requirements gathering, configuring, doing user acceptance testing, and then making the software, making sure the software goes live in a really productive way so the customers get value. So as a result of that, there's lots of metrics we have to track. So first and foremost, most services organizations are tracking gross margin, you know, so, you know, what is our uh, services revenue? 
revenue over our expense. Um, that's really key for scale. I'll, I'll get into that um, in a second. Um, we also track customer satisfaction on deploy. So, you know, a key part of a, a successful multi-year journey for a customer is that, you know, once they're deployed and they're, they're live in our software, they're happy. Um, so, you know, how do we measure that? Um, another key metric um, that we track is around utilization. So, you know, is your is your team being utilized? Um, and then when I um, uh, introduced tracking was scale to productivity, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, and then the fourth one, uh, I actually really wanted to also look at employee retention. Um, again, this is where my people and culture hat comes in, but I, I really believe that, that um, there's that virtuous feedback loop between employee experience and customer experience. Um, and making sure that those are tight and the leadership team of a CX organization is accountable for those metrics is, is really important. Um, you could argue that actually the health of a, a CX organization is maybe even best measured by employee satisfaction and employee engagement um, because that really trickles through to your customers. And how often are you, what, what does... Um what does the actual function of tracking and reporting them look like? Like, are you tracking these on a weekly? Are you looking at these numbers on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis? Um, are, how often are you looking at these? And is the whole team or just sort of you and maybe some of the executive team looking at these? Yeah, uh, great question. So um, in terms of the uh, our revenue forecast, our services revenue forecast, that's, that's really held um, with myself and the finance team. Um, and the way we track that and forecast that is, you know, really is using a waterfall model. So we, we, we pull out our services revenue by two to three years so we can see, you know, what we expect in terms of revenue and what kind of we should be tracking towards from a gross margin perspective. Um, I was introduced to the, uh, to the waterfall methodology by our CEO, who's extremely analytics driven. And I think it's such a powerful tool to understand, you know, really how good you are guessing. You know, do, do you believe that what you thought was going to happen in January was what happened in February, in March, in April? Um, and it's allowed us with a very high degree of accuracy to predict, you know, how much revenue that we're going to have within the team. Um, so that gross margin is tracked monthly. Again, that's kind of held at the leadership level, but, you know, certainly shared from a communications perspective with the wider team. The, um, the kind of uh, contributing metrics that roll up into that gross margin, so when we look at utilization, when we look at customer SAT, um, we review those weekly as a, as a leadership team. And, you know, it's interesting because it's one of those things that we had actually stopped looking at weekly. It was, you know, success kind of became the uh, enemy. Uh, we were doing really well. We'd gone through, you know, a turnaround and then we kind of stopped watching because we said it's running, right? This is moving. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, you stop looking at things and that can, you know, go off the rail. So we, we, you know, came back and said, we have to make this a process. We have to make this a behavior that becomes regularly um, reviewed and assessed and, you know, coached on. So we do have a weekly meeting now with the leadership team where we review, you know, how, how is the team doing? How are we doing against utilization targets? How are we doing against customer satisfaction? How are, pro what's the project health of the organization? So I, I think again, you know, success can breed complacency. And so we got out of that curve pretty fast because you start to see the, the revenue not hitting in the right direction. Um, so we really made sure that we had, you know, uh, have ingrained a behavior um, within our leadership team that that again, cascades to the, the team level as well. 
So I think there's some there's some how, metrics, you know, you certainly hold at the leadership level. Um, and that's mainly just because it's, you know, a really high degree of, of complexity and uh, maybe not super interesting to other folks on our team. But I, I believe you can certainly have a narrative and a story around how people on our team can positively influence those metrics. And so we do do that from a communications perspective. That's super interesting. Can you talk about that for a moment? Like, um, would this be connected to like, you mentioned, like you kind of make the team aware of gross margin or like, it, it sounded like generally like the team at, at large is aware, even if they're not in these granule sort of um, executive level meetings where these are being reported, they're sort of aware of this narrative of that it's rising or falling or like what we're working on to improve it. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how you... I'm interested in how you kind of like tell a story with this data and it sounds like in some way you're doing this that's including the team to sort of contribute ideas to moving the needle on it or making them feel more involved or just making the team feel um, aware of this. Can you talk a little bit more about that? For sure. So our, our general principle from a cultural perspective is the more people have access to data and information, the more people that can be involved in helping us improve it. And so, you know, I think when you look at gross margin, I I share that quarterly um, in Slack. I, I do a post and I kind of talk about gross margin. I actually find for an individual contributor in services, though, gross margin isn't it isn't the metric that's going to get you out of bed. And the reason is, is because it's it's such a team-based metric and you don't necessarily have control over it as an individual contributor. So I do think it's important to communicate on the health of the team and how we're doing. It's certainly, um, you know, there's elements of our, our bonus structure that is related to it. Um, but at the same point, I've really come to the realization that it's like, understand the metrics that an individual would be able to move and would matter to them. And so that metric that we really make sure folks are close to and we communicate on really proactively in our kudos channel and you know in in, in monthly shout outs is related to customer satisfaction um, because that is the closest um, that a, at a consultant is going to be um, to the behaviors that's really going to drive the result and you know most people who join a customer experience organization being helpful is in their DNA they want to help they want to do great things for their customer base and so I think you know we, we've kind of made sure that we picked the metrics that we found were going to be most meaningful to really communicate heavily on um, and I think that association and that connection is really important. So, you know, the metrics that are important to our team are certainly around, you know, customer satisfaction. Um, we we definitely want to track things like project duration. Um, there's a there's for sure a correlation between how quickly a project goes live and the level of customer satisfaction. Um, typically, you know, when someone's been through a buying cycle, they might have been in the buying cycle for six to eight months. By the time they land in a services team, they they want to go live as quickly as possible they want value as quick as possible quickly as possible um, so we definitely look at also project duration um, and then um, we look at kind of overall team effectiveness as it relates to utilization against that project so again I think when you're telling a metrics journey and trying to engage people in it you have to step back and say you know the things that are kind of cool and interesting from a leadership perspective um, might not be that interesting to an individual contributor and that's okay um, you have different jobs and different things that you're kind of looking at and so I, I think there is a point in our our journey where we're focusing 
you know, a lot on the metrics that people couldn't necessarily control as an individual contributor, which again is, I think is important to share in terms of team health, but we really found that driving the behavior change and getting people really excited about the customer journey came when we got our consultants as close to the metrics that they had direct control over as possible. Yeah, it's such a good insight. I mean, a lot of times I feel like the metrics that get the most attention or sort of talk. I mean, we have a lot of like marketing leaders, a lot of founders on here, a lot of CEOs. So you're talking like naturally about really big metrics that the executive team cares about. And to your point, a lot of them do a really good job of making those metrics um, and and everything transparent to the entire team. So they kind of know how things are going. Maybe they know that there's a high level problem and they can kind of contribute some ideas. But I love what you're saying here. It's such a good insight that if, you know, if there are a few degrees separated from having any control over that metric and kind of what they do day to day is this other thing, really tying um, success and, and rewards and transparency around the metrics that they can move the needle on gets them more excited and more involved. So I really love that that insight. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's also a thing to consider in terms of time horizon, right? So it's like, how quickly can you impact that 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 metric, right? So, you know, customer satisfaction, you can impact, you know, almost immediately, you can have a great call with a customer, um, you can, you know, really wow them. Um, whereas the time horizon on a metric like gross margin is really far away. So, you know, I think it's it's a little bit to, you know, engage um, your team members on it and how we've engaged resolve right is, you know, make it as close to them as possible and make the time horizon also as close as possible. So it's proximity and time, I think, really help matter um, to to drive a really positive behavior change. And you said that there, the, these individual metrics that tie to what they're doing kind of inspire, get them out of bed in the morning, um, that they have direct contribution to moving the needle on. Are they being... Uh, are using like the Slack channel methodology for them? Like, is that like in every week, there's sort of like a ping that goes out in the Slack channel or do you review that monthly with them? Like how often are those metrics being looked at with the team? So customer customer satisfaction is um, essentially as soon as a project is, a uh, phase of a project is live, we have a notification that goes out through our, our platform and it, and it actually shows the SAT score. It shows the SAT score on our product our project team and overall, as well as some qualitative information. So people see it in, in real life. Um, and that's that's usually pretty promptly put into a kudos channel um, to, to make sure that people are aware of the wins of the team. Um, when the SAT score uh, falls short of our expectation, you know, that that's a trigger for us as a leadership team to have a conversation on the customer side. You know, where, where did we miss? Let's understand, you know, very quickly the things we need to improve. You know, as, as someone told me in professional services, um, bad news ages is poorly. So get in front of that really quickly and make sure you're understanding what how you can help um, the, the customer moving forward. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, it exists both in our kudos channel and our managers do an excellent job also of in weekly team meetings, making sure that a percentage of that weekly team meeting is spent for kudos. Um, I think kudos amongst peers are pretty powerful. Um, so we make sure we're also, you know, have, have built that in as a behavior for for those team meetings okay so you're measuring a lot you are Mm. a very uh, data-driven organization it sounds like Um, what was it that kind of put um, time to productivity like like why this metric and why now what was kind of the onus behind it when did what sort of contributed to you seeing that this needed to be a focus that you 
measured moving forward and work to move the needle on. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think when you're scaling a services team, you know, you kind of have to, you have to write the ship. You have to make sure your your team is, um, you know, hitting certain gross margin targets. Um, you know, when I when I inherited the team, you know, the services team was implementing against a product that was maturing. So that often means that services teams are making investments to make sure customers are happy. Um, but as the product matured and we started to stabilize our gross margin, you start to think about scale. And you know, as a SaaS company, we're growing at twenty five to thirty percent year over year in terms of revenue. So, you know, you start to ask your questions, how do you become really effective at delivering? So there's a couple levers that you can pull. So one lever is utilization, you know, make sure that individuals um, have utilization targets that they're hitting and they're hitting consistently. Um, for our organization, our, our philosophy is not to have billable utilization targets that are in the, you know, high 80s to 90s, like some, you know, very big, like your, your big four companies of the world. Um, because number one, we don't want to, we don't want to burn people out. And number two, we want people to, to make sure that they're still, they still have time to learn and grow and understand what our platform does. So, you know, utilization, yes, we wanted to get it up, but, you know, we didn't want to keep on scaling that you know to, to this guy um, the second thing that you can do as you scale a team is just hire lots more people right so you know you have more revenue to deliver you can say let's just hire a whack load of people um, so that's great but that also is a challenge because eventually it's going to catch up on your gross margin um, and certainly you know the more people you have especially in a global organization the more complexity you have the more managers you need to have the more systems you need to have so then one of the so you know, you do, we do need to hire people. And certainly, you know, when I, I joined the team, we were around 50 people. We're now 85. So we've, we've grown by 70% in two years. Like it's not, not a small thing, but you kind of start to say to yourself, what if we could just get people to be more effective with our customers faster? And so what this meant to Mm -hmm. us is rather than someone joining our team and being, you know, onboarded in eight to nine months, which is generally what we found, how long it took for people to be fully utilized with our customers. What if we could get them fully ramped and scaled within five months? What would need to be true for that to happen? So this is where, again, a little bit of the background in people and culture starts to help because that's really what an effective onboarding program is about. Um, And what we found when we looked at our services forecast model is if we improved that rate of, um, of someone being, of hitting their utilization targets faster, it would have an enormous impact on our actual revenue. Um, and, and how quickly we could achieve revenue. So I, I liked it for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, I generally think when you hire people, they don't want to suck at what they do. They want to be good. They want to be good quickly. Um, and so I think that helps you know retain and engage people. It, it's actually one of the things we hear often from folks that join our team. They really value that they have a good onboarding experience and they can be effective really quickly. Again, when you hire conscientious people, they want to be successful quickly. So you know, how do we make sure we're building programs so people are successful and engaged quickly? But then second 
then the second fold is, of course, when you build that and do that really well, how do you then start to drive services revenue much faster? Um, and that was really the goal for us. Um, you know, so many teams, you know, sales enablement is a, is an incredibly, um, you know, growing function over the last 10, 15 years has done uh, immense work um, to scale sales teams. And so, you know, from our perspective, why couldn't the same be true to enable and scale a services team? And so that's why we really wanted to focus on scaling to productivity. Now, uh, you know, sort of the general definition uh, that, that at least I understand, you might have to correct me, of, of time to productivity is sort of how, you know, long, whether it's, you know, days or whatever it is that it takes employees to become uh, operational and productive. Uh, That's sort of like the general banner thing. How are you defining that? Like this, this time to productivity is what is, what does sort of productivity mean? Like what's, what's like the mark that the, the quantitative, I guess, or qualitative mark that once Mm -hmm. they sort of hit that, you're like, there, they're, they're at that number and they're productive now. Yeah, so your your definition is spot on. The way we look at it for a resolver services organization is hitting 70% utilization. So hitting that utilization target that we have set for those individual contributors. Um, qualitatively, um, there is just an aspect where the individual feels that they can lead a project and be in front of some of our, you know, very award-winning customers and, and you know, be seen as an expert and be seen as someone that was really going to help um, shepherd a successful implementation along so you know it is both quantitative and qualitative um, in terms of in terms of our metric so walk me through from a high level um, what was sort of the what was sort of the approach that you took to move the needle so what was the starting point um, when you sort of came in and measured it and what what were the steps that you took to try and move the needle here yeah absolutely so you know first and foremost um, you know, we were so ad hoc um, with how we we're tracking the metrics, as many people are when they start their journey. Um, again, it was a little bit of a finger wave to say, yeah, it's eight to nine months to, for someone to be productive. Sometimes it's 12. Um, our utilization targets were all over the shop. Um, so first and foremost, we just had to agree as a team. Um, you know, we believe we could ramp someone in five months. So, you know, the interesting thing about setting a metric out um, is when you put a when you when you put a, a flag in the ground, you start to build programs accordingly for that to be true. Um, so first and foremost, you know, we needed to hire someone that was going to think about this full time. Um, we'd been doing it off the side of our desks, and you know, like like many people when they're building programs like this, it becomes you know 10% of someone's job, which means it's probably 10% of the effectiveness <laughs> that it could be. Um, so we hired someone full time, you know, to to make sure, and we made sure that the executive understood that this was a resource we needed um, to scale the team. You know, if we wanted to maintain gross margin um, and not you know hire. 120 people um, within a short period of time, we needed to have someone that was going to enable this to be successful. So that's, that was the first thing, getting buy-in and resourcing. Um, the second thing was, you know, really going through is you're, you're building any sort of learning program and doing a needs analysis, you know, talking to all the people that were new and asking them, you know, what do you need to be successful in your first month, three months, six months, year? Um, so it was a little mm. bit of a feedback loop. You know, it's, it's easy maybe to say in your head, this is what we, this is what success looks like. And, and we did have that in our mind, certainly, but we found it was more important to kind of go from 
the ground up and learn from our people. Um, our, our, our software is highly extensible, which is what our customers love. It's one of the reasons they choose us. It also makes um, training someone in professional services a little bit more difficult because it's not as if there's one way to do it. So it's not like we could have, right. you know, very specific um, you know, parameters in the product to help someone learn, we had to have more milestones and ranges in which we thought someone was going to be successful. So we had lots of conversations, you know, the person that oversees um, the, the learning function, um, we decided to call it the learning lab and other organizations, it's called a, a center of excellence, but we decided for us that was maybe not quite on brand, maybe a little bit boring and we wanted the learning lab to sound experimental <laughs> and like we were learning and, you know, making sure people were doing trials and apply and so um you know we really did a needs analysis we, yeah we really started to understand you know what what is going to make someone really effective and what are those milestones um and and let's you know let's build a program that makes that true and for us, there's certainly a degree of complexity because we have, you know, these three prongs. You know, you have to learn the product. You have to be able to talk about it sensibly and, and know how to configure to it. You have to learn how we do projects, like how do you implement a SaaS project? Um, and then you have to understand the domain of risk or corporate security. Um, so the complexity of that, it, it made it easy to say, you know, how could someone learn everything in five months? Um, but, you know, I just kind of said, you know, we're not going to eat the elephant and let's just focus on, you know, what the person needs to have to really be effective and to achieve targets again within within two months three months five months you know and then you kind of trail it up um, and then you build your program backwards from there and i think that was a key thing for us um as we were growing the um so i had two questions here uh, i'm gonna try and not batch them like i did the first yeah. <laughs> i do this too often um so so the need the needs um analysis that you did was this like would you take, um, was this done across all employees or was it sort of like ones that were especially high performing and had onboarded within the past 12 months? Like, was it more, a, a more narrow parameter? And I guess practically like what, when you, when you dug in, what were you asking them? What kind of things were you looking to get from them? Cause it sounds like you did kind of both. You had an, you had an existing idea of immediately like out the gate, what you should be doing to improve this program and onboarding, but then you also sourced a lot from them. So what was sort of the questions and feedback that you took from them? Yeah, so you're right. We did have a framework. Um, we just really, our journey was how do we augment it? How do we augment it and just make it go faster and make it be easier? Um, so um, just in terms of scope, um, we started really diligently tracking this about 14 months ago. And so we had cohorts of employees. So employees who are you know, hired within 30 to 60 days of each other, we considered a cohort because they were going to run through the same training program. Um, and, and we, we we really looked at a couple factors. Um, so um, one of the factors that that we looked at um, is we looked at a, a bit of their profile, you know, and and we kind of did a quick qualitative analysis. Do we consider this person an early contributor, a mid contributor, or a more seasoned contributor when they came into our organization? Because you, you know, the, you can build any training program in the world. Uh, you can build it. You can make it best in class. But of course, it's completely predicated on the individual. And that's one of the reasons people often say, well, you can't completely attribute the success of a training program to the training program because it depends on the person. 
that's true. But then is your answer not to measure? Well, still measure, um, but just understand right. what was behind it. Um, so we did a quick analysis of, you know, and we kind of within those cohorts, we batched and we said, you know, these people within services, you know, how quickly did they ramp? Um, and, 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 you know, how did they achieve success? So the questions we were asking in the learning lab were really based around, you know, you know, a bit of a rear view analysis, to be honest, because we were catching up (laughs) at that point. Um, But we were asking questions like, you know, if you were to do this again, what would you need to see in your first week? What would you need in your first month? What would you need in your first two months? You know, we were we were allowing these people that had been through, you know, the the very beta version of our onboarding program to tell us where the gaps were. Um, you know, of course, there's things that we could intuit, but no one is going to know more than when foot put in front of a customer kickoff call, and they're all now have to bring up all the learning they've been, you know, um, gaining over the past several months, and then they're really going to find the gaps. They're going to tell us, hey, by the way, when I got on a customer call, I thought I knew this. This, but I didn't, and this is this is how we could improve it. So I, I think you know at Resolver we have a culture that's very generous with feedback, and so and we really encourage it. We were open and humble about how much we needed to learn, and I think that really facilitated you know having those great qualitative interviews. Um, so the qualitative interviews really drove um, the needs analysis, which helped us form you know the next version of the program. Um, we are starting to measure it a little bit more quantitatively now that the program's been up and running for, you know, 14 months um, and seeing some very positive results in terms of um, satisfaction. But the, the goal for measuring a bit more quantitatively on the quality of the program is not to be a smile sheet, not to say, great, we have a good program, you're happy. It's really in, in an effort to continue to learn. You know, what do we need to continue to do better? Um, how can we support? Um, how can we support you? What are the gaps that you still have? You know, we really drive in on those questions. And again, no, no ego. It's really about doing the right thing for our customers. So it becomes super important that we're, we're diving in with that qualitative data. The second thing that we did as we dove into building this program and actually starting to test it was we introduced a model that we called the learning leads. And so we had individuals that had been part of our team for 12 months or more, and they became, you know, they worked alongside the learning lab to really um, to really be the learning coach for that person, to really answer, you know, quick Q&A, to help them understand, you know, what this looks like in real life, what this truly looks like in practice. And we found that model to be very effective. And the learning lead uh, cohort also became a team of people that were giving us feedback um, to help improve our program overall, because, of course, those are individuals that have successfully implemented, you know, multiple projects. They've been with Resolver for a year or more. Um, you know, of course, a great uh, outcome of that is they also get opportunities to have some mentorship experience, which a lot of people really love. Um, so we found it was a win all around by introducing that as, as part of our model as we built our program. So there was this mentorship aspect was it was sort of hiring someone to own it was the first step. Um, yep. And then you implemented the learning lab to perform the needs analysis. And then there was sort of this mentorship program where they were inserted into this to come alongside and help um, offer further insights and help it advance this. Is that like a, a rough summary of like these yeah, steps so that's far? It. 
that's it. That's a great summary. Um, and then, of course, we built the content. You know, in any enablement program, um, you've got to build the content. Um, we made providing feedback on the content to help people learn part of the the, the learning. It's a very uh, kind of meta <laughs> experience for our learners, but that's that's how we knew it was going to get better, um, and that's how we knew we were going to get the feedback to improve it. Um, as we matured the program, we also we also have started to build out a bit of a playbook for uh, managers. So how will a manager know that someone is being onboarded? How will they know that you know the, their team members are being successful? So I, I personally have never subscribed to the belief that you know learning and onboarding should sit in a department. I don't think it's a, a function. I think it's a team play. I think it is you know folks that are very skilled in learning enablement that make it true. But I think it's peers, which is the mentorship aspect, and I also think it's the person's direct manager um, that helps helps make that true. So I think there's a lot of people that need to be involved um, to help a learner be set up for success and to be really scaled to productivity quickly. Something I'm curious about, I'm not sure if this is the right way to ask it because this is not uh, my area of expertise, but you mentioned the um, when they're when they're coming into the organization and trying to learn, there's sort of three a three prong like education approach like there's three areas that they need to to learn did you find and, and maybe you answered this so forgive me if you did but did you find that then when you were exploring um eating the elephant sort of one bite at a time uh was it that you focused the entire this new onboarding program on one prong and then you'd move them on later or did you decide like let's go 30 percent deep on each prong or like how did you think about tackling that problem because i know a lot of listeners are coming from maybe a SaaS company or something like that where there's kind of like the whole product side the whole customer side they maybe don't have like one target icp they have like a wide range of customers and they need to be familiar with like a wide range of tools we're that way at databox so that's something i'm i'm just curious about yeah, for sure. It's a great question. So um, our our major focus was on the product prong. Um, and the reason we focused on that is we tend to hire people that have background within project. So they, they have they have an understanding of how to implement projects in a SaaS company. Um, if, if they don't, they, they do have a bit more mentorship at the, the beginning. Um, but we tend to hire that so that that makes that a little bit easier. Um, the domain trait uh, the d- domain competencies are the ones that are the hardest to build because it's you know learning about risk. So what does a risk manager really care about? What are what are the what are the jobs to be done for someone doing uh, uh, running a, a risk program? Um, same thing on the corporate security side. So that one. Again, we, did, we we have just decided that that one is going to be part of the journey, but that is very much 10% um, for the first you know couple months um, because it's just too overwhelming. Otherwise, there's just only so much someone can um, um, ingest in terms of learning. So we found that learning on the product was the key the key um, uh, pillar of success. And, and one of the reasons for that too is because when a, when a new resolve right was being put on a project, they're gonna be alongside um, a more experienced colleague or peer for the first couple projects. And so they can help fill in the gaps when it comes to project and domain. So learn the product, you know, learn it quickly. Um, and that's what's gonna be kind of that flywheel that gets you going in the right direction. That makes a ton of sense. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's good insight. Um, 
So what were the, I guess, how long did you implement this before you started to see these positive results? And, and what were some of the results that you started to see? What, you kind of went through these four or five steps. Now the program's up and running. What were the positive effects that, you, that you've seen since then? I know you said you've kind of found like more quantitative ways to measure it and you're looking to develop the program further. Um, but what were some of those like initial impacts? I, you had a lot of hypotheses about the way that it would, yes. uh, you know, drive revenue and make people more effective over the long haul as well, not just getting up to speed. Um, what were some of those like positive results that it drove? For sure. So, you know, once we had um, two cohorts through um, uh, of people, we could start to kind of measure. Uh, and what we looked at is, you know, if someone were to have scaled and and been, you know, fully utilized with, w within the time period that was um, the historical reality, which was eight to nine months, um, how much revenue would they book for us in year one? And then we compared that against how much revenue are people actually booking for us based on this new program that we've built. Um, and what we found is by each individual um, contributor, it was about a 25% improvement um, between the eight months and the five months, um, which, you know, when you when you hire a whack load of people like we had, ended up uh, resulting in an improvement of about $700,000 in billable revenue that we could recognize because people were just wow. ramped faster. So, you know, a lot of times um, uh, people look at onboarding programs as a nice to have, but, you know, for us, uh, as we were scaling our team and trying to deliver an exceptional customer experience, we really found that, you know, building this this onboarding program to make sure that people could be really effective really quickly had a had a very significant impact on our our, our total profitability as a team so um so when you said earlier it was kind of um finger to the wind sort of like you you would kind of say okay somewhere between eight and 12 months people are kind of getting up to speed here um and then now this has been measured to get down to five months which because of this increase in efficiency over that time it's driven across the board an additional 700k in revenue um is there an a is there any correlation that you've seen between like, I'm curious, you said there's a couple ways to like grow an organization, right? Like you can, mm -hmm. you can improve this onboarding end and drive revenue that way and make people form more effective. As far as like continuing to hire, have you seen, or do you have any hypothesis around or have you seen um, that after running through, like, let's say there's company A and B, A uses your onboarding program that you've just developed. B does, you know, does it the old way. Is there a world where A just needs less employees because the time or the ramp up was so good and they're so well trained and the mentorship is baked in that you maybe can operate with 20% less hires? Like, is there any efficiency over the long haul after they're upskilled? Yeah, for sure. So there's there's a, there's a bunch I'm going to unpack in there. Uh, so first of all, w when it comes to recruiting and hiring, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we use the feedback from our onboarding program and determining who was really successful in our onboarding program and, and who was really successful then ultimately by proxy of success in the onboarding program with our customers um, to feed into our recruiting team. Um, and to really say, you know, when we hire people that have this kind of profile, they actually 
ramp in four months rather than five months. And so as an, as a, as an overall team, you can make a decision to perhaps hire someone that is more seasoned. Um, and typically when they're more seasoned, they have, um, you know, larger compensation expectations. But if that investment is going to return to you more quickly because they're just going to be ramped even faster, then that's a great decision to be able to make. And, and, and if you're not working, you know, lockstep mm. with your recruiting team, that's going to be really difficult to make that decision. Um, the second question you're asking is really about, you know, your, your, your ultimate, your ultimate way to test any program is an AB test, right? You know, put one cohort in the training, one cohort, not in the training. Um, you know, for us, um, we actually felt like we had done that because, um, although they weren't side by side, it was, you know, one program that was in 2019 versus the program that was in 2020 versus 21 and 22, right? So we could kind of look, it's not, it's not a perfect AB, but it certainly does start to indicate for us, you know, how might we be setting these people, um, up for success. And so, you know, what, what, when we look at that, you know, I, I certainly believe that the the program is what drove efficiency. I think you have, you know, other metrics that you can look at, um, like employee engagement. You know, uh, the people certainly within the cohort that we've hired most recently that we would put kind of in the Q1 cohort um, are, are having even more positive um um, positive results in terms of employee engagement and satisfaction. I think part of that is because, again, you use that feedback loop to hire great people. Um, but I think it's also because the earlier you can be successful, the more you have mastery, um, the more you have that that great intrinsic feeling of you're doing something that's really impactful. I think it really just you know helps push the team forward. Um, and, and certainly your your insight is spot on. You know we didn't want to grow a team by continuing to scale by, you know, 30% in headcount year over year. Again, your team gets really massive. You you start to potentially have a, a challenge when it comes to gross margin. So we feel that not only by ramping people quickly, but also retaining them because they're super engaged, um, you, you know, you can, you can hold the line on a services model or a services function uh, and really, you know, drive really good performance. Um, um, as a result. I love it. Yeah. It's, um, it's just so helpful and so insightful. I feel like for anyone looking to solve the same problem and a lot of growing companies are going to be facing this problem. So this is, this has been super, super valuable. I do have one more question. Yes, um, absolutely. and that is, uh, w- would there be any, from all the lessons that you learned, kind of any obstacles that you overcame in moving the needle on this, um, for other listeners that are trying to do it themselves and maybe about to embark on, on uh, you know, moving the needle on time to productivity themselves, or is there any general advice you'd give them um, that can kind of apply, you know, uh, apply here from what you've learned? Any insights that you would share or advice you'd give if someone came to you and sort of said, hey, we're thinking about doing the same. Is there anything like you would recommend we avoid or mistakes that you made or anything that you learned there that you would share? 
for sure. I, I think, you know, Resolver as a company has grown, you know, a ton. We've, we've, you know, I kind of I qualify us as a scale up um, because we're, we're extremely high growth. And I think as a result of that, you know, many people focus their efforts on recruiting, which absolutely, you know, you should hire great people. They, they make, they really can define your culture. Um, but for many organizations, onboarding and um, getting people to have uh, the tools they need to be really successful is an afterthought. Um, and so if you're going to hire a recruiting team to, to scale your you know, team by, say, you know, 20 percent or higher, you know, the investment of having an onboarding person that is going to enable people to be successful has to be alongside. Um, it can't be an afterthought um, because it's truly something that once you do it well, you know, again, you're you're bringing you've done a ton of investment, bringing great people into your business, onboard them, give them the tools they need to be successful. Um, it, it pays dividends in terms of, you know, customer relationships. They also tend to refer their friends because they've had such a positive experience, which helps with recruiting. And then, of course, there's absolutely that bottom line function where you're able to get people utilized and really effective quickly, um, which allows your, your, your revenue um, to be very predictable as you continue to grow and uh, be part of the the business result so don't make onboarding an afterthought it's it's a it's a it's a program that when built right can have a massive impact on your organization's scale and overall effectiveness that's awesome thank you so much amanda this has been um an amazing interview you've shared so much insight uh i feel like we could talk for like another 30 minutes but Probably. i'll be respectful <laughs> of your time um so uh yeah thanks so much for coming on we really appreciate it thank you Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.